Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there, and a big shout-out to my international audience and fans, not leaving out my national fans as well. I want to thank all of you for your support and tuning into the Transformation for Show each week. And just as a reminder, I'm live on the Empowerment Channel Tuesdays at noon and live on the Women's Channel on Fridays at noon. And for your listening pleasure, both shows are available for downloading after the show. I'm also available on iTunes, Transformation for Success. So I want you to share with your friends and colleagues. Boy, we have got a great show for you today. I am very excited that we have a show today. And we're going to talk about how true success requires sacrifice. Ah, and my guess is, is not only about what you do, but what you're willing to give up to achieve your goals. So today we have on my show one such woman who is remarkable, was an international professional soccer player and a silver medalist in the African Women's Cup of Nations and who represented Ghana in the FIFA Women's World Cup. So you want to stay tuned for this fantastic show today. You don't want to miss Miss Mimi's, it's Dr. Mimi's tidbits about life after being an international soccer player and how she turned her success into new adventures. So if you're listening live and you have questions of Dr. Mimi, you can call in the show at 1-888-346-9151. We would be so delighted to take your calls. So let me share a little bit more about Dr. Mimi Nartley. She is also a mom entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of RCAP. It's RCAP, I try to call it. It's Race, Class, and Parenting, which is a marketplace of ideas for women who are thought leaders and influencers to engage in dialogue on social dynamics and parenting in communities of influence. So she's going to talk a little bit about that too today. Mimi is also a lecturer at the UCLA Institute of the Environment and Sustainability, and she is had at Occidental College in California and La Jolla Mount University. I'm thinking that's LMU. So, hi, Mimi, Dr. Mimi, I'm going to say. Hello, <laughs> hello, Dr. Barbara Young. I am so ecstatic to be on the show with you today. And since I met you in person, I want to tell my listeners out there that Dr. Mimi is tall. How tall are you, Dr. Mimi? I am a full six feet tall. She's gorgeous, too. <laughs> Paul all of glass you out of water, there. as they say. <laughs> but you are absolutely gorgeous. And I want to thank you for taking time from your busy schedule and your family to be with my listeners today. So I want to share, uh, have you share with us how it all started with you, because I know that your family is from Ghana and uh, that, interestingly enough, your dad moved more than 10 times due to his yes. willingness to sacrifice if you've stated yes. a good salary and a good house for a better situation. So I want you to sort of share how that impacted you moving so many times. Wow. <laughs> you know, Dr. Dr. B, before I even um, share a little bit about myself, I really want to emphasize how grateful I am to be on the show. You're a person for which I have a deep amount of a personal respect, definitely a role model and a leader, and it's an honor to be on the show today. And uh, so just to share about this, this family situation of mine, you know, recently um, 
I was kind of speaking in jest to someone, and I said, my family is a little bit like a, a dynasty meets my big fat Greek wedding meets coming <laughs> to America. It's a really interesting show. <laughs> my, my family life. Uh, so my dad was born in the West African country of Ghana, mm-hmm. um, and he immigrated to the United States to just give himself an opportunity to pursue his education uh, in a better life. You know, uh, he came during what you would describe as the African brain drain. So mm-hmm. through the late 60s, 70s, early 80s, um, a lot of people immigrated from Africa. It was really the best and brightest. They mm-hmm. went to the United States. They went to Europe. They went to top schools, and really, you know, many of them didn't return. Um, unfortunately, they, like my dad, found, you know, found someone that they fell in love with, created a family, and, uh-huh. you know, became yeah. citizens of their new country. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it was interesting for me growing up because I had um, a very dynamic and intelligent father who just saw things very differently mm-hmm. and saw opportunity very differently. Mm-hmm. You know, he was... Um, you know, kind of a lot was invested in him to be the mm-hmm. one to get out of the, you know, circumstances of extreme poverty because mm-hmm. he had intellectual giftedness. Mm-hmm. A lot was riding on him, and he really, um, I guess, owned that responsibility, mm-hmm. understanding he was kind of the one who was chosen to go forward, and he was going to make a way, and he was going to make a difference for his family. Mm-hmm. So that created a tremendous amount of ambition within him, and he's mm-hmm. a person of deep faith and a lot of ambition and a lot of intelligence. I really love and respect my dad a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, first, he did a lot of schooling in, mm-hmm. in different uh, universities in the United States, so he moved a little bit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, he was working in corporate America, and it just seemed that if a headhunter called, uh, we were living in North Carolina, and they said, hey, there's a job in Illinois. He said, okay. If they called him to Arizona, he said, okay. If they said New York or Washington State. So that had us moving mm-hmm. quite a bit. And it was um, a very interesting process for me because I really um, developed an adaptive personality that had to be very extroverted and outgoing. Mm-hmm. I had to be... Uh, you know, I couldn't be complacent because I always had to establish myself again in school. You know, if you're a good student this mm-hmm. year, well, next year we're in a different state across the country. And mm-hmm. so you have to kind of compete to find yourself in the, you know, a top student in this classroom or mm-hmm. a top, uh, I played the flute, you know. And so for any mm-hmm. company, I have to try again or playing soccer, I have to try again. So mm-hmm. it really kind of developed in me this intensity for um, kind of continuing to push myself and push myself. I never really had the opportunity to just kind of settle in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, get complacent. You know, one of the things, uh, maybe as you're describing that, uh, this adaptive personality, though, but I imagine it, it was hard. Uh, I, I don't like the word hard, but a challenge moving around so much mm-hmm. and then making friends and then having to maybe leave that friendship. So my, it's interesting, um, you know, you talk about the intensity of it. How did that drive you into uh, becoming an athlete? What was the motivation um, that helped you to, you know, to start playing soccer? And why soccer as opposed to maybe some why other sport? Soccer? 
Right. Well, you know, if I had known I was going to be six feet tall, Dr. B, I probably would have played basketball. I've had that question asked me many times. I'm 5'10", so nine. And with heels, you know, I'm really towering, as you've seen me. And people have asked me all the time, did I play basketball? (laughs) Basketball or volleyball. or I certainly would have chosen something where the height would have been even, even more of an advantage. But I played soccer. Uh, interestingly, my dad was my first soccer coach, and soccer is, you know, the, the main sport in Ghana, just mm-hmm. woven into the cultural fabric. My dad himself was a really talented soccer player, but he didn't really have the opportunity to pursue it because he was also a gifted student, so everybody pushed him towards, you know, education, of course. Mm-hmm. And so this was just a way for my dad and I to bond. That's kind of how it started. And he oh, would take me okay. to the soccer field on a daily basis. Um, you know, he'd come home from work. We were at the field basically every day together. And it was just, uh, we're so close even to this day um, because oh. of that opportunity that we had. That's great. Now, where were you in the order of children? Were you the old eldest or the youngest or middle child or? Yeah. Where were you in the... Well, I, yes, I only have one younger sister who's 11 years younger than me. Okay. So um, it's a very uh, interesting dynamic. It's almost like we have, you know, two only children in our family. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was, she was only six years old when I left for college. Mm -hmm. So my parents did it and then they turned around and did it all over again. Okay. Um, (laughs) Interesting way to do it. That's interesting. What were your experiences? I mean, uh, one of the things I know, you became this international soccer player. Did you have any idea that you were going to make it, you know, in the big league and become this international soccer player? Was that your goal? You know, originally it really wasn't my goal. I think something that I always grew up hearing from my parents was, you know, just whatever you do, do it well. You know, everything that you do, do it to the glory of God. That's kind of the messaging that I got really strongly. So no matter uh-huh. what it is, even if it's just cleaning off your desk, do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. And I think that has always been the principle that I live by, and opportunities flowed from there that I couldn't even anticipate. So that's, wow. you know, I just worked really hard at mm-hmm. soccer, and I ended up playing in Usually in soccer, you play recreational, and then you go into club, and then they have Olympic development leagues. And when I was um, 15, I learned that Ghana had established a women's national soccer team, and they were trying to, they were holding tryouts for players. And I had never been to Ghana before, but Mm -hmm. my dad says, would you consider going and trying out? Mm -hmm. And... um, I thought about it long and hard. I was very close also with my, my paternal grandmother. She had come and lived with us from the time I was eight until I was 12. She uh-huh. taught me the language. And so I just thought that this would be a great way for me to further explore this other side of my cultural identity uh-huh. and at the same time get this opportunity to take a chance on my soccer career. And so I did, and, you know, I was, I was really fortunate in 2016 to give a TEDx talk about that experience, mm-hmm. um, and, and I just shared, it's really, it was the best and worst experience of my life. Uh, <laughs> best and worst. <laughs> Both, <laughs> Both sides. Both sides. So it was, you know, really a formative experience for me. Um, beyond just the opportunities I had to travel the world and make new friends and challenge myself and develop myself in the sport that I loved, 
I also had a chance to really see, you know, the real disparity in the world between uh-huh. the circumstances that we have and what's really going on in developing Africa and developing mm-hmm. countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. How did it? How did it feel? Because I know you became a, a silver medalist. How did it feel to get that silver medal? <laughs> it was. It was surreal. You know, it's surreal. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. To work so hard at something for so long, mm-hmm. and to actually achieve that goal, and the African so the African Cup of Nations tournament is actually the qualifying tournament for the World Cup for Africa. So the top two countries from the African Cup of Nations tournament are the two that qualify mm-hmm. for the World Cup. So not only was it you know such an accomplishment to have the silver medal and bring home. Yeah the silver medal, but it was also our ticket into the world stage, the World Cup, the biggest event oh, wow. You know, wow. for soccer. I imagine so it that was, was quite an incredible opportunity. I bet it was. But one of the things is that what you know, what caused you decide to decide to leave this career journey? Because you stated you didn't want to peak at twenty two years of age. So what did you mean by peak at twenty two years of age? Yeah, so um, I played in the World Cup at 22 years old, mm-hmm. and I retired from soccer shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I had been on this journey, um, training my, my body, training my mind, traveling the world, um, and like I said, I really picked up a lot, and I learned a lot, and a lot touched my heart, mm-hmm. um, and I just felt that this was such an amazing accomplishment, but it was one that I could leverage to do more good in the world, to develop okay. myself further, to grow more, mm-hmm. and to do more good. So mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I did that World Cup because I felt that it was to honor the work that I had put in, the mm-hmm. work that my dad had also put in as my coach for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to be just a professional soccer player, but I mm-hmm. wanted to really um, broaden my influence and try to do more. Was your was your dad disappointed that you you're leaving a career journey that you'd been on for seven years and now you know you're giving it all up? Was he disappointed? He was supportive, actually. Um, mm-hmm. My parents were really passionate about education, so I, I told him I was going back to graduate school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had always been a good student. In fact, I was the first woman to finish the Ivy League and play in the World Cup in the world. So um, that was that was awesome and unique, but I really wanted to go back, and and they really did support me, and, you know, my dad also always used to tell me there's this African proverb that basically translates to, like, if water stays in a jar for too long, it spoils, <laughs> and so, <Wow>. again, <laughs> Good more to this, more to <laughs> this worldview that we have to continue transforming mm-hmm. um, in pursuit of our, our own personal success. And in self, in that journey of self-actualization, we need to kind of continue to move forward. So that was that was you know, um, it was it was positive to have their support in that. I imagine it was because one of the things uh, that you said, you know, and I used your statement when I started the show today, that it's not only about what you do, but what you're willing to give up to achieve your goals. And the thing about that is that for many people, as you have known and met, I'm sure, it's very yeah. difficult to face your fears 
which is false evidence mm-hmm. appearing real, I know, but to really right. give up something to go on to something new. So we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back because we're going to take a short break. But I want to sort of, I'm intrigued by that question that we posed. What are you willing to give up to achieve your goals? So listeners, stay tuned because we're going to be right back after this quick break. So stay tuned. Mimi and I will be right back. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within. But many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you left the cage that held you back but find yourself in the wild of your life wondering, what do I do now? I'm Dr. Lisa Cooney, and today I'm going to give you the tools to answer that question. Regardless of the issue, your choices of the past no longer need to haunt you. You have the power to change that and to create from a space of fun and ease. How different can your life be? Find out. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, hello there, and welcome back to my show today with Dr. Mimi Nartley, who's a former international soccer player. For those of you who might be tuning, just tuning in, she's a speaker, an adjunct professor, and mom entrepreneur of RCAP, which is Race, Class, and Parenting, which we're going to talk about a little later. But she's had a very successful career as an international soccer uh, absolutely getting a silver medal being in and qualifying for African Women's Cup of Nations and the World Cup representing Ghana. So one of the things is we were sharing, Mimi, Dr. Mimi, I like Dr. Mimi, because you worked hard to get that doctor, <laughs> I do know, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, about yes, that we were talking about how, uh, you know, at the peak of your career, and I know you're tall, you stand out, you're getting a lot of accolades, you've done a marvelous job, what you're doing as an international soccer player but you receive a lot of support from your family. After seven years, you decide to leave this career journey and start another one. So you want to share a little bit how true success requires sacrifice and what was the sacrifice that you made and how would you share that with the listeners today? Well, um, thank you. It, it It really was a big sacrifice for me to just kind of, you know, look at where I was and take stock of, 
all of the accomplishments that I had to that point and really decide to take a step back and go back to school and almost in some ways start over again, start over again Mm -hmm. from, from point zero. When you go yes. back into school and you're back, <laughs> back to day one on a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a book um, called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And oh, yes. I think that there's a concept in there that I, really resonates with me. And he talks about how it takes 10,000 hours to become prodigious at something, to become mm-hmm. a prodigy. And um, I kind of figured out for myself, I figured out at this point, that that's about a 10-year arc, more or less, for me, Mm -hmm. to be able to invest that time into something to really arrive at a point where I really feel at the top of my game in that endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, After that 10-year period or that 10,000 hours of reaching that point, again, I think to avoid a situation where you become stale, that's definitely a moment where you need to consider, reflect, do that self-reflection and say, you know, is it time for me to maybe challenge myself again to make Mm -hmm. sure that I'm continuing to grow and really strive forward towards my purpose? And it does, you know, it is scary. Uh, Mm -hmm. It does take a bit of courage. It does take a lot of faith. But, you know, I think a lot of times when people talk about success, or um, sacrifice, or change in your life, people always talk about needing to kind of forget your past mistakes. Uh But you also need to sometimes forget your past successes, because those can also ensnare you. Uh If I just saw myself, or or only valued myself as a soccer player, Uh I would never be able to cultivate the other gifts that I have Uh that are also important parts of me to help me stand in my purpose. That's, that's great. You know, as you were talking, I, I'm reminded of your your background and your growing up. And I'm intrigued to know if possibly some of the challenges or some of the things that your dad encountered, because I felt, you know, as you shared about him being uh, the prodigy, so to speak, of the family and being very mm-hmm. smart and choosing uh, to make his life in America and this choice of occupations and movement that, you know, which was his choice. But how much of that do you think might have been a part of you? Some of the values that you picked up that my dad wasn't afraid to move from Illinois to Texas or Texas to Arizona that sort of instilled right. in you that I can give this up and start something else because dad did it. Right. <laughs> oh, certainly. I think, you know, definitely my dad is one of my heroes. Uh-huh. Um, we have an incredible relationship. You know, I have an incredible relationship with both of my parents, in fact. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. But uh, just really, really close because of this sports connection with my dad. Uh-huh. And I uh-huh. do think that seeing him, um, you know, again, leave situations that were good. You know, he's got a, a great job at a great, you know, bank. He's worked for, uh, he does a credit risk management. He's worked uh-huh. for American and Bank of America and Wells Fargo. So, you know, it's a great job, a great bank, and a beautiful suburb and a nice house and <laughs> with, you know, good community. Yeah, and for him to yeah. say, okay, you know what? We're going to push further because uh-huh. I believe in myself and I believe in my, in my family. I believe in my own ability to continue to learn and grow and evolve. Uh-huh. And I just think that that's been the sometimes explicit but more often implicit 
lesson that I learned from him. Just that self-belief, you know, and, and so I think even for me, when it comes to having played in the World Cup and, you know, doing the, uh, the, the modeling, the sports modeling and doing shots for Nike and commercials and, and to be at that point and say, you know what, I'm going to start all the way over again. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's because I do believe in myself, and I do believe that I can take all of the things that I've learned from this first experience, all of these, you know, the, the hard work, mm-hmm. the ambition, mm-hmm. generosity, teamwork, discipline, all of those things, and really reapply them. You know, my husband has a little uh, uh, adage that he always says, um, which is, we are our adjectives, not our nouns. <laughs> and I think that... <laughs> I took that seriously. (laughs) Right, right. We are our adjectives and not our nouns, and it's no wonder he and I are together and we have been for 11 years married um, because he sees the world in the same way that I do and sees himself in the world in the same way that, you know, I. it's not that I'm a soccer player, but that I am authentic and hardworking and honest Mm -hmm. and disciplined, Mm -hmm. and I can take those adjectives and put any noun behind it. I can put mom, I can put entrepreneur, I can put professor, um, anything soccer player behind it. But Mm -hmm. really, it's about who I am, the skills and the uh, talent that I'm developing through my discipline execution of what I am Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. or what I'm doing at that time. Tell me, Mimi, what has been one of the greatest challenges that you had to overcome? Oh, gosh. I mean, there are many. It depends on what plane you want to consider it. I mean, um, when I just one example that immediately pops up in my mind is related to soccer. In fact, uh, one time I was camping in Ghana. So we go to camp and kind of have our training camp for a while. We play games mm-hmm. preparing for our competition. And I actually contracted malaria. Oh, wow. Um, during that time. So wow. I was about... 16, 17 years old, um, outside of the country, away from home, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. my parents, you know, kind of it, at that moment, it feels like in the middle of no place in Africa, <laughs> it's contracted oh, wow. a disease that is deadly, um, wow. with people, you know, in Ghana, mm-hmm. they speak many different languages. I speak English. I also speak Chinese, which is one of the uh, more popular languages, but I was in a place where that wasn't the predominant language in that region. Mm-hmm. And it was really just a real challenge. It was just a real moment of, of concern, <laughs> deep concern. I bet. I bet. And it just, it, it definitely, I think I probably matured, you know, five years in those five weeks. <laughs> I, I bet. Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah. So, wow. but, um, for, so for me to kind of go through that, I think that, when you go through things that are physically challenging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that really gives you a whole different perspective. Yes, it um, does. And especially yes, with, does. with disease, you just, it really, in many ways, if you're a spiritual person as I am, it really deepens your faith because there's not a lot that you can do. Right, right. There's That's not right. a lot that but, you can do physically. But have great faith. <laughs> right. Great faith that you could. Right. But there was a plan, obviously a, a greater plan for you that was in store for you. One of the things uh, I'm intrigued um, about you is what piqued your interest in higher education, teaching, and writing. Oh, from being a soccer player 
and then you decide to leave, and then you go into college, and you're, you know, so I want to know, because this is a transition from athlete to educator, not that it hasn't been done, because there are many who have done this, but what did you find so fascinating that motivated you to want to continue a career in higher ed? I think um, that it's really just a compilation of a few different things. So as I just mentioned, I, I had contracted malaria, when I was an undergraduate uh, at Columbia University, I received a fellowship in a malaria research laboratory. So okay. it's one of those things where, again, sometimes you can use what what was meant for bad and turn it into something good. So I had this okay. experience, this really close brush, um, you know, with with a mm-hmm. very serious tropical infectious disease, and mm-hmm. I realized how difficult it was for me to get access to healthcare, even with all of the privileges that were appertaining to basically mm-hmm. a national commodity, <laughs> it's a national commodity. And so I think, you know, how is this going to be for uh, people who are living on less than $2 a day? So I'm having a hard time. My family is well-resourced, and I, I can understand my circumstances. I understand this disease, the risk involved. I am on a national team. What about everybody else around here? Mm-hmm. So I became fascinated with that. And so it was a little bit of the research that initially got me into that academic um, mindset. I see. That okay. aside, I also have always been quite a talker, as you probably are picking up. <laughs> right now. Yes, Mimi. When yeah. I first met you, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but it's great. My, That's great. Uh, you know, to my mother's dismay, I just was always, <laughs> always talking. And, you know, for a while, they tried to curb that enthusiasm. But when they couldn't, my parents actually just got me professional oratorical training. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, I did Optimist Club, different kinds of speaking competitions. So I also had this training um, uh, for for speaking, which is really a part of a big part of what I do. And then I also mm-hmm. think that when it comes to teaching, which I'm sure you you can identify with, that that's also kind of a natural gift. There uh-huh. are some people who are teachers, <laughs> and I've always <laughs> right. been a teacher. Uh, so when you put it all together, the personal life experience that impassioned the research, and that also really augments, I think, my perspective in the classroom because I have a lot of stories to pull from to really, um, uh-huh. you know, explain I- what it is that we're talking about. And then the, the oratorical training to give me that hard skill to actually mm-hmm. literally be able to stand up in front of a class and share what mm-hmm. needs to be shared. Um, and and that academic interest. Now, I know um, you became the mom entrepreneur and founded uh, RCAP. Where did your passion arise from uh, to found the RCAP group? Yes. So (laughs) this is also kind of interesting. In 2015, I was driving home from one of my lectures at UCLA, and... um, I really just had an impression on my heart. It was kind of like a, I don't know, just, I just felt like I, I heard this voice that says, you know what, there's so much going on in the world. You know so many amazing women that are really try, struggling to uh, raise their children and, and incorporate a little bit of a, a stronger social justice perspective. What you should do is just get together all the women of different backgrounds that you know for a conversation one afternoon, and you just call it Grace Cross and Parenting. 
And I thought to myself, like, this is either going to be amazing or I'm going to collapse my entire social network. And we're <laughs> I wasn't really sure how it was going to go, but uh-huh. I had a little bit of faith that if I could get people together and start opening up conversations on things that are typically sensitive subjects, I thought we could, you know, do something constructive. And again, it's borrowing from my own personal experience as a mother, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. fact that I'm a teacher and I, you know, constantly am facilitating dialogue and sometimes on, on topics that are um, difficult to broach. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also the fact that I do, from all of my world travel, playing soccer and from living in so many different places, I'm a natural sociologist. And so I relate very well to people. I have a, a network of friends and, and uh-huh. um, uh, peers from around the world, from different family backgrounds, different circumstances. And I just thought that, you know, maybe I could be the one to kind of help have this conversation and kind of really rebridge our, our feminism, you know, as mothers, uh-huh. kind of reunite us uh, in an inter- intersectional feminist uh, well, I can I can say from personal experience because uh, again, thanking you for inviting me as a speaker to uh, address the group on a panel with race, class, and parenting, and it really was very provocative uh, and interesting. Um, the dynamics of the group of women who were there and the opportunity to share about race, class, and particularly about parenting and looking at some of the issues that parents are facing today was really, you're doing a great job and I want to commend you for doing this. What do you think has been uh, the greatest benefit of working with this group? Because you're addressing social problems, gender, racial inequality. What has been, you you think, one of the greatest benefits? I think... um you know, what I love about the group, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful opportunity to have different kinds of women like yourself share stories, just women that are so accomplished and have seen so much and learned so much, experienced so much, just share their stories. And what I say is it's a marketplace of ideas. Everybody's circumstances are different. Everybody's uh-huh. experience level, <laughs> different topics are different, but um, it's great to give people an opportunity to testify, if you will. It's healing for that individual who's there able to speak their truth. Um, I also feel for myself personally that if I really want to live my values, I need to take time and hear other people's stories. So we have had um, subjects like mompreneurship, which we were so grateful to have you, and a couple of other very successful entrepreneurial women who are mothers come and speak about that. But we've also had, you know, parenting the special needs child, as an example, which was a powerful, powerful session um, of of women who sat on the panel who are raising children with various levels of special needs. Oh, yes. Again, I don't have a child who is special needs. Yes. I am a person who, this is what I say I believe in. My vision of the world is one that's inclusive and loving. I'm trying to teach my children that, but in order for me to be authentic and true to my values, I need to take time and learn about these experiences and learn how I can be more supportive to other women Mm -hmm. in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've had sessions on teaching beauty where we had, you know, an amazing, dynamic, and diverse panel um, talk about their experiences. They were all really Hollywood moms, Mm -hmm. actresses uh, from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. 
and able to share their stories, which is so great. One of the things um, that we're going to talk about and you have and how you guys were, oh, the power couple of Los Angeles recently, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So listeners, stay tuned because we're going to be right back with my guest today, Dr. Mimi Nartley. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life, or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Says, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1 888 346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to my listeners, and thank you for tuning in today's show as I'm interviewing World Cup veteran, a professor, and mom entrepreneur, Dr. Mimi Nartley, who's sharing how the sacrifices she's made in her life have led to new adventures and great success. And guess what? The title of this show is My Success is Intentional. So Mimi, again, just thank you so much for being on the show. This has been an incredible visit with you. And to learn all that you've done and how much more there's in store, I suspect, for you. Uh, Before we went on break, we were talking about race, class, and parenting, which is called, I call it RCAP which she started with a group of women, uh, parents, who get together and are absolutely able to talk and address 
social problems such as gender and racial inequality, but more importantly, to talk about children and child-rearing practices and learning from successful women who face children and bringing them together to share topics that aren't usually discussed. So again, I just want to thank you for that, for sharing about that, Mimi. And yes. one of the things I know that you have a very incredible family and a husband who is an NBA player and who's a luxury real estate broker and television personality. So my question yes. always to successful women who are married to successful men, their mothers and wives and leaders, how do you create the balance between life, work, and home? Right. Oh, so that's a great question. Actually, yes, my husband, Kofi, he played football, um, not basketball, football. Mm-hmm. But yes, he has a very, very uh, busy and demanding schedule. He is the national director of the sports and entertainment division at Compass Realty. He's another one who leveraged his experience playing sports and acting. He's done uh, movies like Fast and Furious and, you know, moved forward in his career to eventually become a real estate broker where he specializes in real estate for athletes and entertainers. And we do have two um, amazing children, my daughter, Laya, who's nine, and my five-year-old son, who's Lincoln. And they, they play sports. They are involved in so many different activities. It is not easy when we talk about the balance of things. I think that our strategy is, one, just to give ourselves grace. <laughs> give ourselves a lot of grace um, because uh, it's difficult. Say to that loud and clear, those. baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're giving ourselves a lot of grace. It's difficult to optimize so many uh, interests. At the same time, you know, it's difficult mm-hmm. for a woman who's working to be pursuing her career so ambitiously, but also really investing a lot of time to make sure her kids are getting what they need and really being able to support your husband, mm-hmm. who's really your partner and your friend, also in what it is that they're doing. So I think Grace is a big one. Uh, okay. Anything else? You've stated... Um, several things about what keeps you motivated. And I'm yes. very intrigued about what keeps you motivated. I mean, grace is great because it is sufficient, is it not? In my good book, it says yes. that. <laughs> but what keeps yes. you motivated and keeps you going? You know, we are like, uh, it, it's kind of like how you, you pick a running buddy or a training buddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times where, you know, you've got your, your person that you run with, and there are times when you get fatigued, but they kind of encourage you, like, come on, it's just a little bit more, or they get fatigued, but you're feeling good on that day, and you're like, come on. So we really kind of all work together in that way. Mm-hmm. And recently, uh, my husband and I just launched a sports foundation. So we are looking to give back to underserved children, to give them access to opportunities to play sports, because sports has been so meaningful in our lives. But this is our family foundation. We just had our first uh, gala event, charity gala event, we had our kids there because, you know, we're all in this together. You see Uh it in our family. We're all in it together. We're all doing this together. We're, you know, building each other up together. We basically all go to support each other's important things together. Uh (laughs) And we're together as much as possible so that we are all really invested in the success of each individual. And that's what makes us a whole. Well, that I want to congratulate you on the launching of the Nartley Sports Foundation. What a wonderful thing yeah. to give back. And I applaud, applaud you both. 
and the family. You had your children involved. I saw pictures of you guys and wonderful, wonderful <laughs> opportunity to give back. And that's what it's all about. But Mimi, there's another intriguing question I have for you. You know, because you've stated um, that on your transformational journey, it's been learning to use what is good and to pursue what is great. How mm-hmm. does one determine the difference? Oh, that's a really, really um, important question. That is a really important question. And I do think that, again, it kind of boils down to that critical self-reflection. I think, um, you know, I have a lot of, of, of conversations with good friends, good partners, good strategists. That would include my spouse my parents, mm-hmm. my spiritual guide, my pastor, mm-hmm. you know, to really um, kind of assess where I am. I spend a lot of time in prayer, meditation, to kind of make sure that I'm always being honest and being able to take honest stock of where I am. Mm-hmm. Because I think that when you give yourself that time to really reflect, you'll open up that space for, um, you know, hearing about or becoming inspired towards other opportunities. That makes mm-hmm. sense. So you'll know, um, you know, I've, I've done this, this is really great, um, but, you know, you're constantly reflective, constantly interested and intrigued. And it's, I think also something that maybe I haven't mentioned is when you are looking out beyond yourself, I think you'll find more inspiration as well. So what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I had a workshop for my race class and parenting group and mm-hmm. I talked about developing a vision that you believe in. So mm-hmm. that means you have to develop a vision of yourself that you believe in. Who do you want to be? Who do you believe yourself to be? That, who you can be in the world. Mm-hmm. And then developing a vision of your family that you believe in. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge is a lot of people just stop right there. They think mm-hmm. about themselves, who they want to be, or what they believe they can be. They think about their families. But I also challenge the women in my group to develop a vision of your community that you believe in and develop mm-hmm. a vision of your country that you believe in and mm-hmm. develop a vision of your world that you believe in. And believing is a higher level of thinking. You know, believing means like you're really willing to kind of put yourself out there towards mm-hmm. something that you believe. So I think that, you know, the way that I see my community, the vision that I believe in really mm-hmm. requires me to become more engaged, to push myself to do more for mm-hmm. my community vision of the country that I believe in requires me to do more. And the world that I believe in requires more. So I think mm-hmm. I find deeper purpose in really not just focusing on who do I want to be as just one woman or who do I want our family to be. Mm-hmm. But, so um, it really gets into sort of self, self-reflection and sort of um, personal knowledge of self, uh, which gets yes. us into a belief system of what you value to yes. use what is good and pursue that what is great. Do you, have, do you think, this is another sort of provo- um, provocative question, do you think that most people pursue what is good versus what is great because they don't really know the I, difference? I do think that a lot of people um, don't really know the difference or it's very, it becomes more challenging um, mm-hmm. the, the more success you achieve. I, I recently had a conversation with some very good friends of mine. We studied mm-hmm. together. and They're also successful. And I just told them, you know, the challenge that's before us as young, successful women, young families, is that um, we have 
it almost seems like we've peaked, but maybe it's not a peak. Maybe it's a plateau. And the space between ourselves and the people that we idolize is actually quite small. If we'll lean in and kind of work a little bit harder, and it's kind of hard at a certain point to decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to work a little bit harder because life is kind of good right here where we are. <laughs> kind of comfortable, you know, <laughs> it's kind of comfortable right where you are. So it's like, where are you going to find that motivation to challenge yourself a little bit more? Uh-huh. You have to be thinking outside of yourself to push yourself that much further. Because as far as the needs that I have, you know, virtually most of my needs are, are met. Uh-huh. Most, uh, many of my wants are met. Um, but if I'm thinking about the wants and needs of other people, uh-huh. again, specifically outside of my family, then uh-huh. I, have, I am challenged and, and, and pressured maybe to push myself uh-huh. a little further. Uh-huh. Okay. Tell me, how do you stay centered on your higher self amid today's challenges and the competitiveness among women entrepreneurs? Right, right. Um, I, I think that's a, a great question. And, you know, at this stage in my life, it is unfortunate to kind of witness some of the competitiveness. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really towards understanding that there's no monopoly on opportunity. I think that's mm-hmm. a false notion that people have, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that wealth is limited, that success is limited. It's not a sum zero kind of product. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't feel that level of competitiveness. I find myself more inspired by people that I think are doing well. When mm-hmm. I'm faced with that competitive energy, mm-hmm. I think, what I try to remind myself, and it's not always easy, what I try to remind myself is that, you know, there are just things that the other person hasn't learned yet. There are just things that they haven't come to understand yet, and that's why they're behaving in this way. And there are things about their circumstances that I might not fully understand. Mm-hmm. So it's really about trying to have compassion for where people are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that that kind of helps to kind of ease some of the burn that comes from the competition that we sometimes well uh, I, I, <laughs> I can well understand but I know that you've been very successful uh, you've made a lot of sacrifices but I want you to define for me in the last few minutes we have on this show my success is intentional yeah. clarify that for my listeners that you would say to them how we orchestrate my success is intentional. Yes. I, so I, I think that's a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. And, and it is a true statement. I think mm-hmm. I would say my success is intentional because I do spend a lot of time developing strategies for my life, um, I, walking in an intentional and purposeful way, mm-hmm. like I said, spending time on that critical self-reflection and refining mm-hmm. the vision that I believe in for myself, my family, and my community. So this is a daily practice of engagement, mm-hmm. and I don't mean on my own understanding. I really mm-hmm. don't. I, I really look for good, wise counsel, and, you know, I spend time in prayer, and, and so I feel like I try to be very deliberate, and part mm-hmm. of that comes from playing sports. You have to be very disciplined, deliberate, and intentional to reach a high, high level of, of accomplishment in sport. And so I just bring that level of intention to life. You know, when, it, when I play soccer, it's like, gosh, I need to reevaluate my shot. 
I'm not, you know, my <laughs> yes. left foot shot's not getting off as the way, you know, the way that I like, or, you know, I'm finding myself that, you know, I'm not, I'm not executing on the corner kick as well as I like. So that requires a reevaluation. So it's really about kind of combing through all the aspects of your game, mm-hmm. literally and metaphorically, and saying, you know what, here's a, there's a little gap here. How can I close this gap? It requires me to circle back around, focus a little bit more on this. And so that, that skill, that practice of constantly reevaluating um, is, is what I bring to life and to live it really intentionally and to have my success be very intentional. Well, I want to thank you so much, Mimi, for sharing your heart today, because surely you did. And you've given us certainly some great nuggets and tidbits that I know that my listeners will take to heart. And I want to thank you just for being who you are and want to wish you continued success, not only you, and, but you and your husband, in the future success of the Nartley Sports Foundation. So, again, I want to wish you, Mimi, the best in your future endeavors with RCAP. I like saying RCAP. <laughs> yes, and, RCAP. That's exactly, that's exactly and uh, if any of the listeners or any of your friends missed today's show, remember, they can download it later on Transformation for Success, the Empowerment Channel, or the Women's Channel on voiceamerica.com. So until then, I want to tell you, this is Dr. Barbara Young, and I'm signing off until next week, where I have another interesting entrepreneur who is in financial wellness, Miss Peggy Buck. She'll be on my show. You'll want to hear her story of from almost rags to riches. But she's sharing how she bounced back after many failures to become successful today. So I want you to tune in. You will not want to miss this show. Until then, Mimi, I want you to be blessed, be safe, and be ever transformed. And thank you for listening today. This is Dr. Barbara Young signing off. Have a very blessed week. We appreciate you joining us for Transformation for Success. Please join your host, Dr. Barbara Young, again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Or join us for our replay every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Have an outstanding week.